You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. In this past week, it's been, hopefully for you, a good time to pause. I know it seems or usually ends up working out that holidays are just more chaos. But I didn't want to miss this opportunity to just kind of take advantage of what is an American holiday, but to use that state of mind that we should be in for the bigger picture of how we should be in response to God year-round. See, for us who are Christ followers... A state of thanksgiving is not just one day, a year, right? It's, it should be every day. Turkey not required. These days, it is all too easy to simply just do something like this. If I wanted to capture this moment, and if I wanted to, to show you what this moment is like, I would do this. There you are. (laughs) And if I'm fancy, I might even do this. And there you are. And and a click and a click of a button and virtually no effort or skill required on my part. I can then take this quickly taken picture, run that through a few filters. Make me look fantastic for one, right? (laughs) Turn it into a black and white. Maybe do some cool blue, you know, sepia tone and other words to make the picture look uber cool. And then I will post that. Like, ooh, look at the picture I have taken to capture this moment. Now, up until the last couple hundred of years, and, and for this, the span of what we'll call human time, blip, that's it. The very, very last few hundred and fifty years or so that we've had quality, what we'll say, pictures or photographs, is just that big in the scope of time. And prior to taking pictures, and what you and I do now so conveniently, There was painting, sculpture, art. And what you and I do in a click of a button used to take a very skilled artist hours and hours and hours to try to duplicate just one scene from time. If you ever get a chance to go to to Rome, they have these these giant uh, towers and arches with just history wrapped around and around and around, and these little sculptures like half raised from the stone, depicting battles and victories with little itty bitty itty bitty tiny Roman soldiers painstakingly carved into the stone, and the tower goes higher than. Than you could possibly 
I'm like, oh yeah, look at that little tiny guy right up there. Oh yeah, that's my great-great-great-uncle. Like, no, like, no one's ever going to be able to see that high. And, and even growing up today, what I just did on my phone would blow someone's mind from the generation even I grew up in. See, the cameras used to be separate from the phone. And I have a phone that made calls and charged me 10 cents per text message. For Yes, for you youngins, that was actually a thing. And, and there wasn't even text messaging right before that. And I had that phone also. It could make a call. It could receive a call. And that's what the phone did. Right? There was no social media. There was no Instagram. There was no taking pictures or anything else like that. I'd have a separate camera. And if I was really, really going back in time, I would take a picture and I would go kachik. And then I would go And I would advance the film, this thing like you take the picture and it stamps the image onto the thing. Right, the film. I'm talking specifically to a little group here in the front. All right, I'm describing to you what it was like. I don't know that I do. So, and then and then you take that picture, and you're only like allowed thirty, and you don't get to see what they look like. And some of them would be really bad, or you'd accidentally hit the button and take a picture of the backside of your hand or something. And then once you've finished all 30, you would put this camera into a bag and you would put that bag to a Walgreens or a CVS or an Eckerd. Those were things too, right? And, 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 and then you would wait for weeks for your film to be developed to see how bad of a photographer you really are. My wife actually did a class in college and became very skilled at black and white actual film and going into a dark room and developing her, her own film. Uh, pretty cool. We still have some of those pictures in our house. Um, and I bring that up to say what you and I take for convenience today used to be an art form. Now, now photogra- photography is still an art form, right? But it's significantly simpler to capture a moment in time. To duplicate someone's face, memory of a loved one, a family gathering. To capture that moment. I got the largest iPhone a couple years ago that they had at the time so that I could just simply take pictures of my kids. Right? I got like 4,000 pictures on my phone. It's stupid. And I take it for granted. I can do in a moment, and with virtually with no effort, what used to take someone a long time. And today is called the lost art of gratitude. Because you and I, in this never-ending, moving, fast-paced, I-want-it-now type of culture, have lost the art of taking the time To give gratitude. We do it in a blip. Do it in a moment. Or not at all. Oh, thanks God. Thanks. Alright, I'm going to go back to work. Oh, thank you for this. And we go about our... Go about our day. We have lost the art of taking the time. Carving out some moments. And developing... The art of gratitude. When I was first in ministry, back in 2005, 
I was doing traditional and then started contemporary worship at the first church I worked at. I was 23 and 24 years old. And the pastor, who's, who's a good friend of mine, gave me some opportunities as a kid. I say 23 because 23 is a kid. As a kid, to get involved in some, what we'll say, like higher tiers of, of ministry. And I was able to do some pastoral assistant work, homebound, hospital visitation, and nursing homes. And as a 23 and 24-year-old kid, I got thrust into situations that I was ill-prepared for. And I became heartbroken. Because I would go and, and visit people who were the equivalent of my grandmother and my grandfather. People in, again, homebound, hospitalized situations. And weekly, I would go visit these people and develop relationship with these people. And then inevitably, they would pass away. I'll never forget the February of 2006. We did nine funerals that month in my church. And after that, I went to my pastor. I'm like, my child, kid, heart, I can't, I can't take this. Right now, I can't do the visitation anymore. can't do it. It's breaking me. And it took me, to be honest, a number of years to both understand what I had gone through and then to heal from it as well. One of the ladies, still, I still remember her name, and it, it breaks my heart because you can't even find her obituary if you Google it. I've tried. But there was a special senior lady. Her name was Florence Marion Williams. And in her retirement, widowed, she began to paint. And Miss Marion Williams became a very fine artist and painted and painted and painted. And at the funeral, in the memorial service at our, in our church, it was not all too well attended. Her offspring and children and grandchildren really didn't want the paintings. So I took one because they didn't want it. And to this day, I have the painting of done by Florence Marion Williams. It's a beautiful fall landscape with like reeds. And... I'm just reminded of the relationship that I had with her and the amount of time she must have poured into that painting. And I guarantee you, at some level, as much of the relationship had meant to me at that time, if I simply had a photograph of Miss Marion Williams, it would be lost in my attic or gone. But she had poured herself into the painting, into the art. Because of that, I still remember the relationship. 
So I don't want you and I to get caught up in the transience and temporariness of, of gratitude. I want us to get caught up in, in the art, in the painstaking process of developing a talent, carving out time to be thankful. And there's a lot of reasons we need to do this, besides some of the scriptures that some of you and I are about to read in a few moments. According to the recent studies by researchers from the University of California, Davis, from the University of Miami, and from the University of Pennsylvania, this comes out from Harvard Health. And after 10 weeks of writing grateful letters and letters of thanks to people, After 10 weeks of that, just one letter a week, people in this study were were more optimistic who wrote these letters compared to the ones who did not. They felt better about their lives. They exercised more. People who were grateful and wrote these one, one letter a week to someone that they were grateful for in their life, just one letter a week, they, they exercised more. They were healthier. They visited the doctor fewer times. They had an increase in their happiness. I don't know how they measure that, but they were happier. They scored higher in the quality of mental health. And these benefits from, from, lasting, from, from writing one letter of gratitude a week lasted between one and three months. Now, I would call that a significant improvement compared to those who exhibited none of those traits and none of those qualities from writing none of those letters of gratitude. Now, arguably, scientifically, the research said they cannot determine the exact cause and effect. But they also admitted they cannot ignore the correlation between those who wrote letters of gratitude and then who exhibited all of these positive traits. The word gratitude in itself means this. This is a definition. The quality of being thankful. Readiness to show appreciation for and to return kindness. The quality of being thankful, would you describe your heart as such? Would that be a quality that someone says you possess in your life? Say, oh, that person is talented, or that person is smart, or that person is good-looking, oh, that person is thankful. See, the way we measure our lives probably needs to change. Because again, the world looks at the outside appearance. As we know from the story of Samuel anointing David, the Lord looks at the heart. So is your heart thankful? I mean, truly thankful. Is it a quality of your heart? Or is it just little snapshots? Have you taken the time 
to let your heart be truly thankful for all that God has given you. I guarantee you if I asked you to start writing a list of the things that you are thankful for, if you were honest, you wouldn't be able to stop writing. Because the more and more you and I think and let God transform our lives and our hearts by the renewal of our mind, spending some time being thankful, suddenly we realize we're we're thankful for our car, our family, food, a house, a job. Sometimes you might even be thankful that you don't have a job because you're in a, a better situation because your job is horrible. And you're in a time of transition and growth. Our country has become spoiled. With a good economy. Compared to the rest of the world and regardless of your political leanings, a good government. Perfect? Please, no. Oh my gosh, no. But we could be in a slave state, all right, and not allowed to gather right now, so... Right? That's, I'll call that a thumbs up. We are called to be thankful. I grew up watching a show called Reading Rainbow. Where a Star Trek LeVar Burton without the glasses, stood at the end of every show and said, well, don't take my word for it. So we're going to open the book. Some of you have some post-it notes with scriptures I've given you. I want you to hear the word of God from the people of God before we move into the rest of the message today. Who has 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18? Just stand in your biggest preacher voice. Give us a read. Listen to these words. Sorry, there you go. Go ahead. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in 
richest richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse three. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Psalm 9, verse 1. <coughs> I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Did I miss one? Got one more? Is that it? Lance. Yeah, you're the last one. Thanks for forgetting me. I switched around my list, so I didn't go in order. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. <laughs> thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His love endures forever. I'm thankful you read that. <laughs> what is the similarity of these verses? What is, what is the, the consistency between these verses from the Old and the New Testament? What do we hear? Be thankful. And to whom? Yeah, we should be thankful to God. And, and even Paul writes, I'm thankful to God for you. And he writes to the churches. I give thanks to God for you. And oftentimes we skip God and we go right to the person. And we say, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful you did this. Now, while appreciating someone is not in and of itself a bad thing, we can become in the habit of bypassing being thankful to God. And being thankful to the person or to the thing. And we forget who is sovereign, who is provided, and who we should ultimately be grateful for. So I love and I appreciate you, but I'm thankful to God for you. And I guarantee if you if you start thinking this way, and if you start speaking this way. It will change the way you think. And it will cultivate perhaps a lost art of gratitude. So when you go up to someone next week, even at work, like even if it's a not religious space, you're probably still allowed to say, hey, I'm thankful to God for you. What are they going to, okay, cool. And then the next week they do something good on your team. Or maybe someone that you're in a school project with really takes a lot of the weight of the project and they earn the A for you because you're one of those people that just rides the project. You know what I'm talking about? You might have been the person earning the A or you might have been the person not earning the A and thankful for being a part of a project or a team or a science fair thing and you did like 15% of the work and they did like 80 but you benefited from the grade because they were smart and your names just happened to be close together in the alphabet. Lucky you, right? 
I'm thankful to God for you. And even if you don't say it, I encourage you to start thinking that way. I give thanks to God for my children, for my wife. Am I thankful for my wife and what she does? Yes. But I need to be first and foremost thankful to God for my wife. And that's going to change things. We're going to look at three things, three ways we need to be about giving thanks and cultivating the lost art of gratitude today. One of the verses that was read, I believe it was Ed's, was 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to expand on this just a little bit. So if you would turn with me there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And this time we're going to begin in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their, because of their work. So respect them. Don't take them for granted. Right? And we urge you, brothers, oh, and esteem very highly in the love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. So if someone's slacking off in their, in their Bible reading, in their praying, all right, even in their job or in their work or in their school, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. And that one is super important because, as any parent knows, as you admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, patience is required. See that no one repays evil, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then here we get to the part that the Ed read. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You and I are designed and should be thankful. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, if we're we're honest with ourselves, we like to give thanks when the good thing has already happened, not we're in the middle of the muck. Like we're working our way through life and finally when this thing has finally come to resolution or finished or worked out the way we wanted it to, then we give thanks. Florida Gators probably gave thanks at the end of the game yesterday. I doubt many were giving thanks during the game. FSU fans, just if you, if you saw the game yesterday, you'll know what that is. That's, the, that's a kicker, whiffing. Probably don't want to give thanks for that. We like to give thanks when the thing is over and when it worked out the way we wanted it to. Give thanks. Georgia blew out Georgia Tech. Amen. Right? Go dogs. Go dogs. A friend. <laughs> that's my team. <laughs> Oh, 
welcome. <laughs> I've been. Next week, everybody's Bandwagon. Bandwagon church. Until you've known an entire lifetime. Entire lifetime. Without a national championship, you will not know my pain. You might give thanks for a paycheck. You might give thanks when the relationship worked out the way you wanted to. But during the mess, it's hard to give thanks, right? But that's what we are called to do. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. And we're going to look at a story that I'm sure you know to really bring this to light. Because there was a man, this man was named Jonah. And Jonah did a great job of being disobedient to God. That's really what some of this, uh, much of the story is about. Because Jonah was called to go preach the good news to Nineveh. To bring back repentance. To remind them and explain to them that there is a God and that God is sovereign. And that there's a time to return to the Lord and that time was now. It's like, that's not a popular message, God. I do not want to go. Therefore, I will go this way. I will go the opposite way. Of the way that you have called me to go. And I will get on a boat. And I will go as far away from God as I possibly can. And that seems stupid. Alright? Because you can't escape God. But don't we try. Oh, that's really not convenient for me, Lord, to, to stop my car at this moment. And and go over there and, and help this person. And while I'm changing their tire, to ask them if they know Jesus. That's, that's not convenient. That doesn't work into my schedule. Or perhaps there's something God has laid on your heart that, that you know you should have been doing for a long time. And you have this nagging, just grinding, twisting in your heart because you know that every day you're avoiding what God has called you to do. And you're running just like Jonah. Obviously, if you know the story, this doesn't work out well for Jonah. And he confesses to the guys on the boat, I'm running from the Lord. And, and a great storm comes up and is tossing the boat and threatening to kill everybody. And Jonah's like, you know what? Yeah. Toss me over and this storm's going to calm down. God is angry with me because of my disobedience. And just throw me into the, into the waves, let me drown, and be done with it. And so they do. And they toss Jonah over. But in God's sovereignty and God's plan, because God is about God, a whale, a giant fish, comes up and swallows Jonah, right? We believe it's a whale, because where there's a whale, there's a way. All right, giant fish comes up and, and takes Jonah, and Jonah spends three days inside the belly of the beast. And we're going to pick up into Jonah's prayer. I don't know if you ever read this. All of chapter 2, 
in the book of Jonah. So you might turn there. After they threw him over, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's a long time to smell like an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, and listen to his prayer. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, and the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And the waters closed in. Over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice, of thanksgiving, of gratitude, of thankfulness, of appreciation, of returning kindness to God, I will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the first thing we need to be reminded of in our lost art of gratitude is to first and foremost give thanks for God's salvation. We're thankful for things, we're thankful for stuff, we're thankful for people, we're thankful for jobs, we're thankful for places to live, we're thankful for cars, but we need to be first and foremost thankful for God's salvation. Because who saves? Who alone can save? And if we don't start our gratitude with being thankful for salvation, everything else is fluff. God, thank thank you that you've saved my life. Because it brings us back to the moment where you had your whale experience. Before you knew God, before you had accepted Jesus, before you were walking in the way that he has called you to, before by grace you were saved, you were in a whale. The pit, shield, darkness, and death. And when we begin our thankfulness by being thankful for salvation, we are also then reminded of who we were before and how far God has brought us. Jobs are good, right? Provide money. And relationships, cars, transportation, houses, place to live in, apartments, whatever. Okay. But all that's going to pass away. What will not? My salvation in Christ Jesus. And we need to be thankful for our salvation, if in fact you are saved, for our salvation and thankful for Jesus Christ and the cross. Because again, everything else is going to pass away. 
So it is good to be thankful for the job, for the car, for the relationship, for the good grade. It is good to be thankful for Michigan beating the Buckeyes. But nothing surpasses being thankful to God for our salvation. So we've got to start there. And being thankful in all circumstances begins with being thankful for our salvation. Because only in that we understand that all the circumstances don't really matter as much as we thought they did. Because we are saved. And the world can throw as much as they want. And the enemy can try to distract our eyes from the cross and from the purpose that he has given us. But we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And we should be thankful for that. So it's almost like the moment in Forrest Gump where No Legs Lieutenant Dan is on top of the shrimp boat in the hurricane. And he's just speaking out, you call this a storm? Like, bring it on. Because I'm thankful for my salvation. And if my life ends tomorrow, I'm thankful for my salvation. And I know I could not have saved me As much as I love my wife, she could not have saved me. And my kids could not have saved me. So who am I thankful for for my salvation? I'm thankful to God for my salvation. Jesus Christ is suffering and the Holy Spirit in his guiding. We got to begin cultivating this lost art of gratitude by being daily thankful for our salvation. Because we can let these moments of faith like baptism and the moment that we are saved drift as Jonah probably did in the waves in our mind. And in the passage of time, like the I've been watching my way through the Lord of the Rings gradually again because it's just so good. You know, um, to be honest, the Fellowship of the Rings soundtrack, probably the best ever, changed my mind. You know, like the guy at the table. And we can have a conversation about that for for many reasons. Uh, And I love music and and film scores and soundtracks and everything. There's a lot of good ones. But regardless, and it begins with Kate Blanchett, you know. It's just, oh, so good, right? And you see the little hand reach down to the river. It's not just Schmeagol, it's actually Deagle. But anyway, so the hand reaches down, picks up the ring. What was known was lost. And as time passes forward, we can, re- we can move farther and farther away from the things which were in their moment very important, i.e., your salvation. Baptism, and the moment you are saved, becomes just this faint memory. And I hope and I pray that you remember that moment for you. Can you think of it right now? Go ahead. The moment you were saved. Because there is one. You got it? Are you thankful for it? What if you started every day for the next week with that thought? 
and begin cultivating the lost art of gratitude. Something else that will make us grateful and can cultivate this lost art of gratitude is, again, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing, right? And on my way here this morning, in preparation for this, God has just continued to work on my heart as I'm sure He's working on yours. And instead of turning on the radio or, or turning on my tunes... I pray for everything between home and here. I'm just looking around, driving around. There's a Mayflower delivery truck parked, a semi-truck parked on the side of the road. God, I pray for that semi-truck driver. He has good health and, and safe travel where he's going. There's a fire department I passed because I came by Starbucks on the way here, O'Galley, and then down US-1, right? Praying for the people inside the fire department and just praying for everything if you start looking around at the world as you drive on your way to work, maybe that's something you can start this week. Turn off the radio. Turn off the NPR, the talk radio, whatever it is. Turn off Z88.3 and the four songs they play, <laughs> which we can argue about the, the theological... Anyway, turn it off and look around and start praying for the businesses you pass. For the kids on their way to school. Oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm 15 miles per hour in a school zone. I'm stuck. Great. God just bought you more time to pray. Because you're going negative Mach 4. And pray for the little kids getting off that school bus. Pray for the teachers. Lord knows they need it. What if you started praying without ceasing and cultivating this lost art of gratitude? So when you start doing that, God changes your So the first and foremost, again, we've got to give thanks for God's salvation. Because as Jonah said in his prayer, verse 9, chapter 2, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I'm thankful. He said, Jonah, you're in a whale. He said, I know. Fish? No, he, he's in the whale. And you're like, that's a bad time to be thankful, Jonah. You're in a whale. But he's already doing what has yet to be written in the New Testament because God is God and he's giving thanks in all circumstances. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you and what I have vowed I will pay and salvation belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. Another thing is we've got to give thanks during the crisis because all circumstances is kind of one layer. When things are really, really, really bad, it's hard for us to be thankful. In Acts chapter 27, we have a story of, it's just so good, if you, if you never read it. And I'm not going to back up too far because we would have to probably read all of Acts for it to make sense, but Paul is in prison by this point and, and they're going to put him on a boat and sail him from Caesarea all the way to Italy. All right? And so they, they, they put him on a boat. And if you've got a map in your Bible of like the, the Middle East and or Paul's missionary journeys, it's a great thing to reference that you have an idea of, of what's going on. And they start off pretty much 
near Jerusalem in the big scheme of things, right? And they're on a boat, and they go to Sidon, and, and then they end up going to this other place, and there's this place called Fair Havens, which just sounds really cool, right? And they end up there. And, and then after that, even though Paul has been saying, because he's been on enough boats in his time, hey, the weather's not that good, we should probably not go. Shush you, you're a prisoner. Um, yeah, but shush, shush, shush. Boat captain here. He knows what he's doing. Prisoner, boat captain, we'll listen to this guy. But Paul, but, uh, uh, shh, shh. Come sail away, come sail away, come sail. So they're going, right? And this really bad weather kicks in. All right? So here in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 14, and soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the, when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the, boats, the ship's boats, the little the dinghy pretty much. They pulled that up onto the boat, right? And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the, undergird the ship. Basically, they tied ropes around the boat to keep it holding together. Like things were not good. And if you are looking at your map, they ended up drifting for 14 days all across the Mediterranean Sea to this island called Malta. And that's a long way. Being adrift, they had to toss their, their tackle and everything overboard. They were about to toss some of the guys overboard and anything else they could. But... Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. <laughs> Trees. <laughs> and that's actually not a joke, because you, you could do that when there were, you know, and, and sailors knew when they were approaching land, right? And the wind was probably blowing. So they took a sounding. And found 20 fathoms. So that's lowering a depth, see how deep it is, right? And then bring it back up. And a little farther on, they took a sounding again, found 15 fathoms, getting shallower. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern as their boat's just being pushed. So four anchors from the stern, they're probably being dragged along. Now, me, I, so I, I got a kayak a couple months ago, a fishing kayak. I've gone out a few times. And uh, I, 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 in my kayak noobness, um, I got a one and a half pound anchor, all right? Now, to, to be fair, that will actually do you some good out in the river, right? The problem is it's not enough good. So I'd throw out my anchor and I'd tie it off and I'd be fishing and, and, and then slowly and over time, even with the anchor, just dragging through the silt that is our glorious banana river, just, just dragging in weeds and everything. I find myself like 20 or 30 yards from where I dropped anchor, right? So I got another three-pound anchor. Ooh, doubled the weight, uh, and that'll probably be okay. One anchor, not enough. They throw out four anchors, which I guarantee you are a lot bigger than one and a half pounds because their boat is being dragged. And how big is this boat? I don't know, about to hold between 76 or 276 guys, depending on the manuscript that you read. There's a lot of people on this boat. This is not a tiny boat. This is big, epic, Roman boat. All right? Just have that in your minds. Like 200 people on this boat. That's a big boat. They throw out four anchors. 
As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, loaded the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved, because an angel had come to him and said, guess what, everyone on the ship will live. That's pretty cool, because things weren't looking good. So the soldiers cut away the rope of the ship's boat, and they let it go. The day was about to dawn. Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day. We've been 14 days out drifting in this storm. That you have continued in suspense and without knowing food, without food, having taken nothing. You haven't eaten in almost two weeks because everything is gone here and then over there. And people are probably throwing up anything that they probably would have tried to eat anyway. And Paul is like, In the middle of this storm, in the middle of this crisis, take some food. For it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, and, if you're following, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it, began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Again, we were in all 276 persons on the ship. When they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Here we see Paul giving thanks during the middle of the crisis. And if you and I are going to cultivate the lost art of gratitude, we have to be thankful during the crisis. Because there is, again, now referring back to point number one, there is none else who can save but God. And it might feel like you're in a whale. It might feel like you're tossed to and fro on the giant shipwreck of life right now. And when things seem as bad as they can get, you know what that should be a reminder to do? To give thanks. And this is, this is contradictory to our, our spirit, right? This is contradictory to our human nature. And we have, to, we have to trust God and giving thanks even when things don't seem like they're working out the way we would want to. They ended up being shipwrecked on this island for three months. For three months. Now fortunately there were some indigenous peoples who lived there. And here's where things get cool. Because in this moment after the shipwreck, first of all, no one was killed on the wreck. After Paul gave thanks. And that in and of itself could be considered a miracle. After the ship struck a reef and everything else had gone bad, no one was lost. But while they were there, Paul was used by God to lay hands on people and heal everyone who was sick on the island. That's pretty impressive. Pretty important ministry, right? So you might be looking at, oh, this didn't end up the way I wanted it to. Number one, Paul's already a prisoner. He's in chains. Number two, now he's a shipwrecked prisoner. Could things be worse? And Paul's like, I'm saved. I'm saved by, by, by God. I'm thankful for that salvation. By faith, through grace. Bring on the storm. Bring on the imprisonment. Bring on the shipwreck. Oh, people need healing. Maybe this is the whole reason he was there in the first place. And, and what we find is that in this story here, 
Again, they were having the, 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 the father of Publius, now we're in chapter 28, lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So they were able to fix the ship and sail away with more than they had before. And because Paul was thankful and obedient to God, God used his circumstances, God used the crisis to draw others to his glory. Because it's not about you and me, right? Our thankfulness draws attention to God. Now, I want you to return just for a second back to the book of Jonah because when we give thanks, here's the other interesting thing. Now, Jonah, again, was disobedient, right? But I want you to look at a couple of verses here in Jonah, all right? Chapter 1, verse 5. And the mariners, the guys on the boat with Jonah, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. His own religion, his own way of thinking, his own idol, they cried out to them. Poseidon, or whatever, with his trident. Oh, come save us, God of the seas. I don't think that worked because a few verses later, things were still really bad, and then Jonah gets tossed over, right? And Jonah gets tossed over because he said, I'm running from the Lord because I've, I, I, I've done bad things. So he gets, he gets thrown overboard, and then the storm ceases. Now turn back over to chapter 1, uh, page, um, and now let's look at verse um, uh, 15 and 16. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him to the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And verse 16, Then the men feared not their gods, but then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to their gods? No, to the Lord. And made vows. In other words, they said, I'm going to serve this God. Because this God is worthy. And the God I was praying to before, nothing. When I prayed to this God... Boom, stuff happens. And so, you see, like, it might seem like really bad for you right now during the crisis. You might feel like you're in the whale, but if we are thankful and obedient, and obedience, or having, being obedient and being thankful, as in the will of Christ Jesus for all of us, God can use our crisis for His glory. And suddenly the people around us will be affected by our obedience and our gratitude to God. And for all we know, every single man and the ship that Jonah was on was saved by God that day when they tossed Jonah overboard. It's a strange way to go about being saved, right? (laughs) Throw over the God guy. (laughs) Oh, I am now also a God guy. Multiplication. It's all about God's glory and, and us giving thanks for his salvation and during the crisis. Finally, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And, and this story can be read also in Luke chapter 9, also in Mark chapter 6, and in Matthew chapter 14. So go to John chapter 6, and while you put your finger there, 
All right? Uh, we're going to read this the verse uh, 1. After this, Jesus uh, went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And there's, this after this is, is important because by looking at some of the other Gospels, we're able to piece together what's going on here. In Matthew chapter 14, which is the same telling of this story, the feeding of the 5,000, which we're about to look at. Matthew chapter 14, the after this is important because of what's before this paints a picture for us. And in Matthew chapter 14, and when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And that's what we read here in John chapter 6. But what's the this? The after this is Jesus finding out that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. And he's filled with grief and sorrow. Like experiencing loss and pain. And Jesus being fully God and fully man, the fully man side of him is probably really hurting in this moment. You probably would be too. Someone you love, have known about, who baptized him. Beheaded. Like there's no coming back from that on this side of heaven. That's flesh wound. I've had worse. I've had you. No, no, no. It's not, it's not Monty Gray on the holy, you know, python thing. All right? Just a scratch. It doesn't work out that way. And that's the after this. So his heart is hurting. And again, we're back to the giving thanks in all circumstances. And Jesus kind of really just wants to be away and alone in this moment. And try to escape. But you ever tried to step away and be quiet? And, and, and it's almost like in a, in a, in a creepy-ish but true way, the Holy Spirit is like that character Isla Fisher from Wedding Crashers, like the creepy girlfriend, I'll find you, you know, just, it's, it's there, and you try to get away, you want to be alone, but, but you're never really alone, right? Because we're with Christ, and the Holy Spirit is there interceding with us with, when our groans, when our pain is too deep to even confess, we're never really alone, and that's the beauty of it. We think we're alone, we try to be alone. And I'm alone in my thoughts. No, you're not. I'm separate from my kids. That is a blessing, but you're not alone. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, and lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, come heal us, do more signs and wonders. Ooh, ah. There's more to do. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, like a whole year's worth of money is not going to buy enough food for all these people that are coming. We don't have enough money in the bank to do this thing. And, wouldn't, and if we did, it wouldn't be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, um, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Sit. Now there was much grass in the place. It was comfortable. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in numbers. There's at least 5,000 people, realistically more like seven to 10,000 people. 
because they were only counting the dudes at that time. Women and children were there probably too. Jesus then took the loaves, the five loaves and two fish. And when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, all those people, he told his disciples, you know, gather up the leftovers. There's still plenty more. And I gathered up 12 baskets full of leftover food. Now, I've said this in the telling of this story, and we've looked at it in years past, that one of the reasons I believe there, there were 12 baskets left over is one for each disciple who thought it was impossible. And now you get a ba- basket of leftovers. And you get a basket of leftovers. And you get a basket of leftovers. And remind yourself that God can do the amazing and the impossible. But Jesus, even Jesus, started out this miracle by giving thanks. Our last point for today, we're closing with this, is even to give thanks when there's not enough. You might be looking at your bank account, what's left in your pantry. You might be really discouraged. You, there, there might be no way to think like things are possibly going to end up the way you had hoped or the way you wanted or to be reconciled with someone else in a relationship. There's just simply no way that you could possibly talk to your stepfather or stepmother again. Or maybe your, your brother or sister has wronged you in a way. Or perhaps you've wronged them. And there's just, you know, there's, there's no way, no way that, that you could make amends with that person to heal the relationship. But God is God. And we are called, as Jesus modeled for us, to give thanks even when there's not enough. I guarantee you at some point today, tomorrow, this week, this month, you are going to find yourself in not one but many situations where you're going to have an opportunity to cultivate the lost art of gratitude. And it will change your life for God's glory. Yes, there are health benefits, as Harvard Health has showed us, to, to, to having gratitude. Right? But this isn't a call to exercise more or to rate higher in some made-up happiness scale. What this shows us is that as our hearts are grateful, our lives will be changed, as will those around us. And our community, our town, our city, your neighborhood, your schoolrooms, your workplaces, they need to see thankful people. People who are grateful to God for our salvation. People who are giving up gratitude to God in a crisis, even when things seem the worst. And giving thanks to God when it seems like there's not enough.
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. God, I pray that uh, we would be reminded of, of how much and how important a heart of gratitude is. Because you are good. Your word, your faithfulness endures for all generations. Your love for us. God, we, we honestly don't deserve. But you have chosen to love us when we when we fail. And you choose to welcome us when we are far from you. And you choose to bring us back when we've fallen away from what you've called us to do. So God, I pray that the Jonah-like hearts that are seated all across this room today would be changed 